five, scores! Rick Five. We've decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Five. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone, to the episode 79 of the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan. Joining me, as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, how are we keeping? Uh, we're doing all right, Mike. A uh, little kind of lazy day today. Not much sleep last night. I got my booster. And then, of course, you get all this stuff they give you to read. And it drove me nuts. I'm laying in bed thinking, oh, I think my heart's going through quick. <laughs> but anyway, read I, I'm doing okay. Don't read it. <laughs> well, I, well, I'm sitting there waiting to leave the building after getting it, and it's right there. So I started reading it, and I went, oh, my goodness. But anyway, I'll make it. Well, our guest today, you know, He's got a connection to your family. He enjoyed a 14-year pro career. He's from Toronto originally, played in pretty much every league in North America, was a very physical player when he played throughout his career. He's the owner of the Precision Skating School based out of Toronto and is currently head coach of the Cincinnati Cyclones in the ECHL. Welcome to this good and ultimate Leap Band show, Jason Payne. Jason, first off, thanks for joining us, and how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. Well, let's talk about the team for a second. The Cyclones are currently in second place, I believe. Considering the challenges we all face in the world today, I know coaches are never completely satisfied, and you're probably no exception, but how are you feeling about the team so far? You know what? Our guys have worked really hard. Um, you know, with everything going on with the, I guess, with COVID itself, uh, injuries, the NHL teams having uh, taxi squads or not having taxi squads, like the last – Honestly, honestly, the last two months have been an absolute, uh, I guess you want to call it Ferris wheel of players coming in and out, going up and down. Um, I don't think I've had a full lineup for the last, I guess, almost two months, close to that, close to two months. Guys have been called up. Uh, now, right now, I have no contract guys on our team right now because they're all in Rochester as Buffalo and Rochester have, have, have gone through COVID and injury issues, as you know. And I have a lot of free agents as well that have been are up in the American League as well. We actually just lost another one today to Abbotsford, uh, one of our leading scorers. So, um, yeah, it's been fun. I've been had to go around, make trades uh, with, with different teams. I kind of feel like uh, Kevin Costner in draft day where, you know, <laughs> people look at me like, what are you doing? I'm like, just let me do my job. Let me do my job. So, um, <laughs> So getting players in and moving players out, and you know, as you know, the, the social media aspect of it, hearing fans like, "What is he doing trading players when we don't have uh, enough guys to field the team?" And with everything going on right now, why are you getting rid of players? Well, you know, there's there's always a method behind every, uh, my madness, I guess you want to put it that way. So it's fun. It's 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 a challenge, but it's a fun challenge. I'm looking forward to continuing on it. So you guys have a pretty good uh, represent. Uh, uh, thing with Buffalo and Rochester. Uh, it's a pretty strong one. Um, are you in touch with them a lot about the players and that sort of thing? And, and second part of that question is, do you think at some point 
we're going to see 32 NHL teams, 32 American League, 32 ECHL. Because I know now, compared to when I coached in that league, like there was times in uh, several years that you guys had like eight, nine, ten contracted guys. And I think that's probably, or maybe I'm wrong, but I think that's the way it's going to end up at some point. What, what was your, what would be your take on that? I would agree with you. Um, you know, they, they want to say our league is the double affiliate of the, uh, of, of the, of the NHL, obviously, but every team is pretty much represented uh, by an NHL team. Like we represent an NHL team somewhere in this league. If it's some have dual affiliates, cause some teams do not have. So I would definitely see it going in that direction. And, and the way the hockey is right now with the leagues the way they are, you know, the NHL is the elite of the elite. Those are the top players. They, they do everything the right way. They do make mistakes, but they do more things the right way. And the weaknesses in their game are not as, uh, as prevalent as you can see. Whereas the guys in the American League, those are guys that can play in the NHL. They just have to find the consistency. Mm-hmm. Of it. And the guys in our league are potentially guys that can play in the American League. And it's just about them finding their consistency level. So, you know, the, the that's the difference. Like, there's guys in the American League that can play in the NHL. Well, there's guys in our league that can play mm-hmm. in the NHL. It's just a matter of where they fit in, how they fit in, and the consistency of them fitting in. So with the leagues, how they've been utilizing their affiliates and their call-ups, I, cannot, I can only see it going in that direction where as many teams there are in the NHL, there's going to be as many teams there are in the American League as there are in the East Coast League. And I'm sure it's going to, it might even get to a point where it's branching out even more so that you have them in their respective divisions, if you want to call it that way. The leagues mm-hmm. used to have the uh, West Coast where the West Coast part of the league where like Ontario, uh, California had a team in, a, in the East Coast League. Uh, there was uh, Stockton, California, um, you know, Bakersfield, who was now in the Stockton and Bakersfield now in the, in the American League. But, you know, these were all teams that were in the ECHL but we're on the West Coast side of things where it's easier for those teams to call players up to there instead of necessarily calling a player from, let's say, Florida to go all the way over to uh, Stockton or, you know, somewhere on the East Coast, all the way to the West Coast. So I can foresee that happening. And I mean, the league is forever expanding. I guess it's just a matter of like, as the NHL is just finding the right markets. I was going to say to you, Jason, um, just maybe for the, the listeners, explain to them, you've played in several leagues, which we'll get into shortly, but Maybe let the listeners know how good the ECHR really is. You've touched on it briefly, so now the players mm-hmm. can play American League level, but it is a pretty good league. It's a very, very good league. Um, you know, and it's funny when you talk to some players sometimes, especially the younger guys, because they don't know any better. They have the misconception of thinking like, oh, well, you know what? I'm not going to go play in the American League. I'm in the East Coast League. Sorry, I'm going to go. I'm going to the American League. Yes. Um, okay. I mean, I'm not here to burst your bubble, but, you know, reality is not going to be your best friend. That's, that's all I can tell you. To get to this league, it's in play in this league and stay and have success in this league. It's a lot of work because there's a lot of great players that play in this league. And the the work ethic and the workload that's expected is it's a different type of grind because our jobs are here to prepare the players down here to have success at the next level and not just be call-ups, but to have a bit more of an impact. So, uh, you know, when players actually get here and they find out and they see the pace of the game, I mean, there's players down here that have played in the American League for years, you know, uh, you know, that have had success in the American League. And they're at a point in their career like they don't want to do that anymore, but they still know how to play the game at a high level, think the game at a high level. And when you get a lot of these young players, rookies that have don't have that type of, uh, I guess, know-how of how to play the pro game. And they get it, they go against these, these wily veterans, if you want to call it, 
you know, yeah. the the shock factor is it's big, it's big, and they, you know, it's, it's a matter of now grounding them. Like, okay, now you understand what you got to do, and can they handle it? Can they take that next step? Can they add that layer to their game? And that's that's completely on them. They have to take control of their own development as as we help them, we guide them through the path. So we can only lead them to water, give them the blueprints, but you know, they got to figure out how to drink it, how much they're going to drink. Exactly. Uh, well, I was going to ask you next and then take that one step further. You spent a few years climatizing yourself to the pro coaching profession as an assistant. What was the biggest change from playing you found getting into coaching at this level? You know, as I, I've always conducted myself in a certain manner when I played. And I think while coaching, it's I try not to change too much of that, my personality, my style. I don't ask the players to do what I wouldn't do or couldn't do. Like when I ask them to go in the gym and go work out and train, I go in the gym and I'll work out and train and I'll lift heavier than some of those guys. But it's just to let them know that, you know, it's a lifestyle. It can't be something you like or just want to do. It has to be a lifestyle. It's, it's a passion. And when they see that passion in you and they understand, you know, they like they, they feed off every word you say because they know you're not asking them to do something you won't do and you have their best interest at heart. So when they know you care and they know you're willing to put yourself on the line at the same time, you know, they're willing to go at the wall for you. So let's you know, go it's back. It's funny, uh, Jason. Hold on. It's funny you say that because I remember getting into the coaching in the ECHL, my first coaching job after I played. And what drove me crazy was everything was out of my control. Like I couldn't go on the ice and do something about it. And that was, that was probably the toughest thing for me in my first year was the fact that I I had no control over what was going to happen on the ice. All I could do was prepare the team, but I'm standing there and there's not a darn thing I can do about it. And, and that was really bothered me a lot. Oh my God. You know, it's now you say it, it is so true though, because there's, I look back and I'm thinking this part of the game and as I watch our players on the ice and I'm, I sit back and I think to myself, man, if, if I was, if I was out there, this wouldn't happen. Like, 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 come on, guys. Like, I should tell you what to do here in this point. Like, this is something that should be a natural instinct, you know, reaction or an instinct for you. But it's it's not the makeup of these kids in today's game. And, yeah, you know, I want to be out there sometimes and just want to give it all and give my energy as well, too. And then realizing, like, no, it's it's on them now. <laughs> like, I've just yeah. I've given them the, the, the you know, the pre-scouts and what we need to do and how we need to accomplish it and what we need to execute. When they're on the ice, I can't be there with them. I can only sit back and just hope that they have taken in everything that I've, I've you know, set forth for them and they can apply it and, and we can have success from it. So definitely that is, uh, uh, especially with the style of hockey that I played, when I see like the fights or anything happening, like I sit there and it's like, I just, you catch yourself and my whole body just gets tense because like, you're naturally back in it. So uh, but yeah, that's, that's definitely a part of the game where you, 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 you sit back and say, that's, it's a big difference, a big change. Well, if it makes you feel any better, Jason, all the guys we've had on who've moved into coaching, including guys like Jared Bednar and Bruce Boudreaux have all said the same thing. Okay. You know, you can sit <laughs> yeah. and watch, you can, and squid the same thing. You can sit and watch and instruct and point out the odd mistake here and there, but all you can do is cross your fingers and hope that they get it and go out and execute as you usually you suggest. <laughs> yeah. That's all you can hope for, man. Oh. <laughs> All right, so let's go back to the beginning. Born in Toronto, your mom didn't have a car. You traveled by TTC to games to, as a kid, and I think you even started as a goalie. Yes, I was a goalie. Uh, my mother took me to learn to skate at uh, St. Mike's Arena. 
uh, I think it was with the Toronto Olympics like skating program they had there. And I had no idea what was going on. It was funny because uh, I woke up, I wake up in the morning, my mother takes me to the arena and she, she goes, she wakes me up and she puts, uh, I guess some, so I guess tights or whatever on me to keep me warm and takes me to the arena and puts some equipment on me and pushed me on the ice and says, all right, here you go. I had no, I had no idea what was going on, but <laughs> just, you know, you're gliding around, you're gliding around and, you know, just yeah. from what I gather, from what I remember, I mean, you know, you, I took to it the best I could. And I just remember walking out of the arena one day after one of our skates. And it's funny because I was a, my first skating coach ever, um, back then especially was I don't I can't remember his name but he was black and like to to, to have that that was quite rare and so is you know I guess that's one thing that kind of help you associate and you know continue to want to do the sport so it, it was it was a rarity and I was you know I guess those are things that happen in your life for a reason mm-hmm. um, along with I guess walking out of the arena and walking by a dressing room. And if you remember St. Mike's, uh, it still is the same way. When you leave the dressing room, you're yep. under the stands. Yep. So, you know, you're walking in, you know, the slant of the yeah. of the thing. So uh, walking by a dressing room and I saw these, some players in there, but they were goalies. And they had all this, these pads and all this equipment. And I was looking at it. I was just, I was just like mesmerized. I was like, so I think that's where the passion of the, the goalie started with me. And then, uh, you know, I was a goalie for quite some time. And, I think it was to minor Bantam was the first year that I was, a, I became a player, but, but did go, but going back, I mean, goalie was my life. It was just why I just loved it. It's the, have, you know, strapping on the pads and I'd get on, uh, have the pads and blocker and glove and stick. I'd stand in front of the TV and watch global. Uh, I think it was a sports line or global, whatever it was where they would, uh, you know, all the highlights of the yep. games that, you know, and, and they'd be watching and that'd be, you know, emulating the goalies and like making saves and it was like you know or rick vive coming down ripping a ripping a stop shot of the bar not this time and like, uh, <laughs> well now kevin weeks played a big influence in you i believe and even still to this day yes so that was and so that's where it also went to from there as you know kevin and i grew up in the same neighborhood downtown toronto and our parents were friends before we were friends and you know, just him being a goalie, and then I, you know, me watching him and watching his uh, his his climb and progression in minor hockey was, you know, it was great. I mean, we grew up, like I said, down St. Clair, and you know, it's times we go to the old Christie Pits. And a funny story of Christie Pits, I went there with a, my one of my daycare trips one day, and it was it was in the summertime, and there was a uh, the baseball diamond they had there, so yep. it was a big crowd, and I was like, what's going on? It's a big crowd. We were with our little our daycare at the time, and saw all these guys and I'm like, who are these guys? These guys look huge. And then someone said, it's a, oh, it's a little charity uh, baseball or softball uh, term they got going or game they got going on here. Yeah. It's the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm like, what? So I'm like, we were all hanging by the, by the fence. And then I see this guy and then I look up and I'm like, I just see biceps for days. And I'm like, Oh, this guy's, I'm thinking to myself, this guy's huge. So I just asked him for his autograph and he said, sure. And then, so I pull it back and then I, I said, I said, thanks. I said, thank you. I said, uh, was, I, and then I asked somebody, I said, I said, I said what's your name, sir? And then he goes, I'm, I'm Rick Vive. Ah. <laughs> I, said, I said, that is Come on. awesome. Man. That said, is funny. So, I, so, and that's a story I'll, I'll, I talk about forever, forever. And, you know, it was, it was awesome. And I just remember it, like I, the shirt, I, I, we, I, we make jokes about it, but, I could swear that shirt was like an Italian large. Like 
his biceps were about to tear yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they made him pretty tight back in those days. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so then so that was great. Now those are stories we you know we talk about for days. I could talk about it, you know, and just with Kevin himself, weeks. You know, I used to go to his house and we like when he moved out to Scarborough and we used to hang out all the time, and, you know, play with his goalie gear, talk hockey all the time. And just seeing him continue to go and, and grow in the, in the sport, you know, me getting to a point in my career where it's like, where my minor hockey career, anyways, I remember my dad telling me, you know, you should be a player because there's a better chance of making it as a player. And I think the whole ploy behind that was because he didn't want to buy me goalie equipment because he was <laughs> <laughs> So I uh, so I, I transferred. I, I changed to being a player, and and that was a that was a big uh, that was a big tra- transformation for myself. Uh, you know, skating in normal skates, and you know, you could do things in ball hockey with a stick, but you, it's to do it on the ice. It's a little different. Uh, you know, I tried out for a bunch of teams. You know, I didn't make any of them. And in one day, I mean, I guess I think halfway through the season, I just kept going to shinny hockey every day. Every day was a shinny hockey. I mean. Like I said, you, like you said earlier, like I was taking the bus everywhere. Like I'd mm-hmm. come home from school and my mother would come home from work. Like probably, I think we were coming home from one of her jobs or second job or wherever. And then, you know, she'd drop her bags and we'd hop on the bus because we'd head down to Chesswood or wherever the, uh, or Forest Hill Arena, wherever there's a tryout. And, you know, we hopped on the bus, went there and we tried it out. And, you know, it was, that's just, you do whatever you can do for hockey. And, uh, you know, back to the whole thing of me being a player. One day I went to play shinny hockey out in Scarborough and this, uh, there was a team practicing after shinny hockey and some of the kids, they saw me and I guess I looked their age. They asked me how old I was. I think I said I was like 13 or 14 and they said, oh, okay, well, who do you play for? I said, I don't really play for anybody. He goes, oh, really? Because they saw me at shinny. He goes, you want to practice with our team? And I'm like, uh, sure, okay. Yeah. So I practiced with their team and after practice was done, they're like, so you're not playing for anybody? I'm like, no. He goes, do you want to play hockey? I'm like, yeah, for sure. I'd love to play hockey. He goes, do you want to play for our team? And I was like, oh, uh, sure, okay. So that was my first team uh, out of being a goalie. It was the Toronto Devils, a single-A team. And funny thing is for that team, like I learned a lot. I met a lot of friends there. And we were actually the city champs that year. And my development took a whole lot of turn from that point on. Uh, You know, just I got better as the year went on. and But my hunger for the sport just kept growing and growing and growing. And – you know, watching my, my friends I went to school with playing AAA hockey. And I think my fascination is, I guess, with being a goalie is with AAA hockey at that point, the equipment you get for free. Like you get hockey pants, you get gloves, you get helmet. You get, whereas on, in the other place, you get a gloves and a helmet, maybe a, a pant shell. But this one's in AAA, you actually get the pants itself and full tracksuit swag. And so that was just like my driving force. I just wanted to get to those levels and get that stuff. And, you know, every step of the way, there was everyone was telling me, you, you can't make it. You can't make it. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. And yeah, I just, it just had to, the naysayers and the doubters, I just had to put them in the back of my mind and use that as, as, as fuel. And, you know, like I said, keep going. Don't change anything I've been doing. Keep going up to shinny hockey every chance I get. Wherever there is ice, I go to. Uh, and, and I was fortunate enough to, I guess I lived at, uh, around Finch and Leslie. So Cummer Arena was down the road. Yep. And there was a, Hillcrest Summits was a team that was playing out of, out of Cummer Arena. Yep. And I happened to run into, again, at a shinny hockey, I just went by the rink and they're they're practicing there. And I asked the coach if I could, you know, practice with their team. And he let me practice with their team. His name is Greg Aletto. Um, I still talk to him up to this day. And he let me practice with their team, even though I was playing single A, just to c- continue to develop. And, you know, the following year came and I went to play for single A team again. But 
the ch- it, was, it wasn't enough of a challenge for me. And I was getting frustrated to the point where the, the single A team was getting, got upset because I was getting too upset. And uh, Greg turned to me and says, come play for us. And it was honestly, it was a bunch of kids. It was a bunch of kids on that team that were just like me. There was just hungry kids that were, that didn't really come from much. We just wanted to play hockey and love it. And, you know, he took us all in and we battled and we had a great team. And, you know, it, it, it also helped me develop even more. And then the, the jump from there to AAA came, you know, and I went to Wexford Raiders. Yep. And, you know, that was a trying year because I didn't get much ice time and the frustration level was there. But, you know, it, it the lessons you learn of, you know, nothing comes easy. You got to grind. And, you know, after that, after that year in Wexford, you know, Kevin Weeks got drafted to uh, Owen Sound and I went to Owen Sound's training camp. And, you know, I did well. In, I did well in training camp, obviously not at the OHL level. But, you know, I had a fight. I scored a goal. I was the first cut. It is what it was, you know, and I came back to Toronto, uh, jumped on with the Mississauga Senators organization. And it was, a, oh, there it is. <laughs> there it is. Um, <laughs> right. And and they had, uh, there was a team that, were, that they just came from like pretty much winning the city championships the year before. And, you know, to jump on with those guys, a bunch of skilled players, you know, it was it was a great learning experience for myself as well there too. And it helped fuel my hunger even more. And, you know, went to the, wanted to go to the OHL and wanted to crack lineups. And I mean, I've touched the ice in many different, many different leagues. Um, you know, from, from that year after, after Mississauga centers, I was a tryout with the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. Then, I mean, I've, I practiced with and tried out in the, in the dub. I practiced with the Saskatoon blades, tried out with the Tri-City Americans and the Seattle Thunderbirds. Um, I even tried out in uh, the Quebec League with the uh, St. Hyacinth Lasers. And all of that to, to bring me back to finally be able to crack the lineup after everyone's been telling me I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it, you know, to crack the lineup with the London Knights. And, you know, that to me was such a, a, a dream come true for me to finally be able to do it and to go out there my first game and uh, pretty much uh, win my first fight there in the OHL and the fans absolutely – screaming with excitement you know that was that was a big that was a big time for me a big time in my in my future and in my career sorry and uh, you know that helped me to fuel towards where i am today in the future like meeting friends and building my career going forward so talk about getting up at your first year of pro hockey was with flint 19 points 224 minutes in penalties in 59 games so you let them know you're around how was that whole experience that was great, uh, you know, to be able to to get up there. And uh, I, I joined on with a, a gentleman, Robbie Nichols. He was our general manager and coach at that time. And to me, he was the, uh, if you know the movie uh, Semi Pro, he was the Jackie Moon of the of the Colonial League back then. So he <laughs> he would jump on the ice and do you know you know any kinds of sponsorship or sales or any kinds of like jump, hey, puck, chuck a puck, throw pucks at him, and it was, it was But he, he found a way to fill the seats, and you know. He also said to me, like, I'll get you called up to the, to the IHL, which was at that time the similar level as the AHL. And I said, all right, just do what I got to do. And I went out and I fought the likes of um, Mel Engelstad, who was an absolute heavyweight back then, Herb Raglan, who was an ex-NHL. Yeah. Um, you know, there's so many guys that, were, that, were, that would go through that, that was in that league back then. That were At, at that point, I was in there as a, as a 20, 21-year-old and fighting men that were 27, 28, 29, 30. And – you know, before you know it, he I'm he sent me up to the Detroit Vipers in the IHL. 
you know, and to be going to get the chance to go play in at Palace of Auburn Hills with the Vipers, who at that point in time were like an amazing team. And, you know, I, I remember that first call up and when I practiced and after practice was done, they're like, OK, guys, we're leaving for Orlando at, uh, let's say, three o'clock. I'm like, Orlando. I was like, oof, that's a long bus ride. I'm like, so I went to the trainer. I go, am I am I am I going with you guys on the trip? He goes, hold on a second. And he goes and he goes, Ludzi. Steve Ludzik was the coach at the time. Is his painter coming on the trip? And goes, uh, yeah. Comes back, yeah, you're coming on a trip. I'm like, okay, well, we, we were leaving at three. What time does the bus leave? He goes, oh no, we're, we 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 leave from the airport. We fly out at uh, we fly out from downtown Detroit. And we fly out. I'm here. I'm here in a tracksuit right now. I have nothing else. So I <laughs> I jumped in the car and I and I ripped back to Flint and uh, packed all packed some stuff quickly and then drove right back to Auburn Hills and jumped in the the truck with the equipment guys and they drove, we drove down to Detroit. And as we're driving there, uh, we drove past the airport. I'm like, well, the airport's right there. I'm like, where are we going? Oh, we're going to our plane. I go, I'm thinking to myself quietly. Oh, okay. Our plane. I'm like, okay. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm just sitting quietly. So we pull up to this big uh, hangar and I'm like, okay, well, I don't see anything here. So we go through these doors and walk through another set of doors and metal detectors. And then, this kind of a windproof kind of door. And all of a sudden we're inside this big hangar and there's a big plane sitting there in the middle of the hangar. And at that point that the, the plane was called round ball one. And that was the, the same plane that the uh, Detroit Pistons used. Pistons. Yeah. 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 So I was like, so you can imagine me from riding the TTC and the normal buses <laughs> seeing this plane right now. I'm like, Oh my God, it's a plane. So well, I, I haven't even gotten inside yet. Well, Jason, we had a question for you because with Stevie Ludzik, who we've had on, he's a good friend of ours. He was coaching, obviously, the Vipers. Now, he talked about, were you in Thunder Bay when he brought his team there? No, I was in Thunder Bay after that. Okay, so, well, I wanted to talk about the Thunder Bay experience, and I'll tell you what Ludzik said about playing in Thunder Bay at the time with his team. His quote was pretty much packed rank, and the assassins were out in full force. Those guys were tough. Hundred percent. You knew it was like slap shot. You knew when you're going to Thunder Bay, like you're. It's like you're looking for car. You're looking for Carl Racky, or you're looking for any of those guys from Youngblood. Like you knew you're in. You're getting in one. And you know they they had a lot of guys back there. I mean, like I said, um, Bruce Ramsey, uh, Vern Ray, Mel no. Anglestad. Like it it went down the list. You know you you had your choice. And I know every night I was going in there, I was like, okay, I'm going to fight. I'm fighting two of these guys or at least three, who knows? And then I ended up actually going there to play there. And they, they loved me. They welcomed me in with, with open arms. And, you know, they, they love their guys. They love their guys. And it's hundred percent. It's a packed rink and it's, it's the only, it's the only show in town pretty much. Right. And it was, it was a great experience, a great place to play. And, you know, I, I definitely enjoyed my time there. Well, I had uh, my assistant coach for a while in, in Charleston, Rick Avuno, yeah. is from Thunder Bay. So he kind of posts a bunch of guys from that team and other guys from Thunder Bay. We had some pretty good players uh, from, from Thunder Bay that came down and played in, in South Carolina. And I think the year we won the championship, I think we had four guys from Thunder Bay on our hockey team. So uh, they had good character, and uh, that's what we were looking for. Yeah, they were. They definitely had that up there. Uh, the, the toughness, but they could play, and they like they they won championships in our in our league right? in that league back then. So yeah, all because of that, for sure. 
Now, Jason, I was going to ask you, you've been on a number of teams already. You've obviously stepped yourself as a guy who can play physical. You're a big guy. You can play the game as well. Why all the movement at that time? I mean, surely teams knew what you brought. Or but was it just, um, why wouldn't they commit to you for longer term? Or was that just the way it was done in those days? It's kind of the way it was done in those days. You know, you you, you get in where you fit in. And a lot of times it's call-ups. You call up to fit to, to fit the, uh, I guess, the, the, the hole, you know, plug the yeah. hole of whatever situation they need. And, uh, you know, you're a journeyman to travel. Wherever you're needed, you go. And it was about, for me, it was about team first. So yeah. the team needed me. I was, I go do what I have to do for the team. And yeah, you know, you'd like to be somewhere for a long period of time, but I think because I was so hungry to make the jump and continue to try to make the, the best of it, get to the next level, you know, I was never complacent. Um, Squid, here's a question for both you guys. I'm going to ask now your first taste of hockey was in Cincinnati. Jason, we're going with the first year in the AHL moving around these different cities. Was there some common thread or similarity amongst them? And I guess where I'm going with this was some of these bigger cities were bigger than others. They'd have a couple of major league teams, maybe a big college team, but probably more of the circuits you were involved in were along baseball and hockey. What was it about these small towns that was so attractive for the players and, and got you guys so involved? I think because like you just said, there's a, there's sports that are around the towns, but when you're more or less the main sport yeah. like uh, hockey is the main sport and you're that team i think that's where where the attraction came to everybody it's not like you know it's a little bit tougher like when you look at toronto right now you know the marlies are up and down they're up and down and unless they're guys that are you know pr prospects or guys that are going to be in the nhl or called up a few times like they could relatively walk on the street and be unknown you know yeah. and and it's it's just the way it is because the leafs are the big show there you know, and that's why for at least teams in these minor and uh, major junior teams, they're the only teams in town. They're the major teams in town, you know, and that's why all those young guys, you know, they, they go, they feel like they're, they're gods out there because they're treated that way. And the same thing with universities. If you're in those uh, small, you know, those university towns where, you know, there's, you're the only big hockey team that's there, but, you know, people recognize you, especially if you're a D1 and, you know, you go to Miami of Ohio and your name is Justin. I mean, you know that one there. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been there many times. <laughs> it was a wonderful place to go to, I tell you. And I think, you know what? I, I Funny thing is that about Justin is that when he, he got drafted by Sudbury, we went up there, Mike Felino was a coach. And, you know, we he kind of saw that the fans loved the, 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 the team in, in, uh, up there. But then he said to me, he said, we're driving back. And I, you know, I didn't say anything. I didn't tell him to go play major junior or college. He said, you know, dad, he says, I don't know how much I play in, in uh, up there. And uh, he said, you know, I says, I, I'm a good player, but I'm not a great player. And he said, I may not get the opportunity to play a whole lot there. I'd rather go to the U.S. development program where I'm going to get a better opportunity. I'm going to get real good off ice training and then go to school. And when I, as soon as he said that, I, I I just played it like it didn't matter to me. But I thought, oh boy, I, am I ever happy he's doing that? Yeah. <laughs> he's gonna go get an education. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. It's uh, you know, I look back at it. I played in the OHL, but it's just something as a kid in Toronto. You know, that's what we wanted to do. Um, you know, if I was gonna go to school, it probably would have been for football because that was my main. That was my other sport. Um, 
I was a two-time Toronto All-Star while I was playing hockey. So to juggle football and hockey at the same time was was tough. But uh, I just loved hockey so much, and that's why it just pulled me in that direction. And I guess having friends in the same in the same sport, you know, it's you're you're around the people that you know that think the same uh, like mindset of you. So you're only you're only forced to go in that proper direction. And, and hockey was that for me. So. Well, I was just going to finish up with that comment and scribble to you even with South Carolina. And the, the fact of the matter is you're playing in these small towns and you're playing in, in these places. You're seeing the same faces at the rink as you're seeing at the grocery store, the barbershop, uh, at a bar, anywhere you walk in town. So you're a part of the fabric of the community. So to me, it would almost be more of an honor representing the community in the job you're doing for them playing hockey and maybe somewhere else. You may, you may be a call up and taken it away to give any given time. But it's almost like you're looked upon as part of the community. For sure. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I would have to say absolutely. I mean, when I was in Charleston, it was it was so funny because, I mean, I think they're so used to the college uh, sports and everything in, in places like that where everybody just called me coach. <laughs> like, call me Rick, will you? Like, you know, but it was a college town and it was college sports, and that's what they they call the guys that coach the, the university teams is coach, and that's all they kept calling me, and I and I begged them to call me Rick, <laughs> but no, no, it was coach all the time, and and the the, the people there uh, they loved the the players, they did whatever they could for the players. It, it was it was phenomenal. No, I like I I agree with you 100. Uh, you know, for me, what I I always took it upon myself in my career to get out in the, get out with the with the in the public you know do the do every kind of event that's you know to be in go to schools read to the kids go to hospitals you know see the children and anything community service i always got involved in and you know for me i felt that was one of the other than playing hockey that was the second most important part of your job and that's the reason why you know i think when i go back to a lot of these towns you're, you're always welcome back because you know, you, you've given a part of yourself to that town to, to show that you care and that you're not just using them as a, as a, as a stepping stone or a, a quick little uh, pass through. Now, one of the teams that uh, you may not, you didn't play for, but one of the leagues you played in, the now defunct United Hockey League, featured the famous or infamous Danbury Trashers. <laughs> now, did you get the opportunity to play against those guys? No, I never got the opportunity to play against those guys. Uh, they were they came in later in, in the league when I was there, but I I did see them. I read about them a lot, and I knew some guys that played for them. Like, what did you think when you heard a seventeen year old kid with a mobster for a dad running the hockey club? Um, I wasn't surprised. Okay, okay. And as, as you say, there's no, as you say, there's no filters here, so yeah, I came, no, really. I came from the GTHL, so I'm not surprised. Okay, no, I got you. Got it. Yeah. Now the doc. Now the documentary is that a pretty accurate account of what was going on? I'm sure it was pretty accurate. Um, I'm sure there was a lot more to it. Um, but again, you know, they do what they, <laughs> they, they do what they need to do just to let you know what you need to know. Now let me ask you this: Did you remember <laughs> Garrett Burnett or this Ruman Nudar? Garrett Burnett was my roommate in. Uh, oh, that's in funny. My first year pro. Well, my first year pro technically was in Utica for the Utica Blizzard. Yes, right. And then the year after I went to Flint um, as I went back as my overage year halfway through that year. But Jared was my roommate in in Utica and we also fought. And I mean, I, I couldn't even tell you the amount of times that we fought uh, after that because, <laughs> you know, same age, going to different training camps, playing at different teams, 
we both do have the same job. So, you know, to fight, to fight, to fight, to fight. We fought in the American League. We fought in, in every league. So, um, you know, rumor to Dur, him and I never fought. We, we, I mean, maybe confront each other a couple times in the OHL when I was in London. He was in Guelph. But after that, that was really about it. I mean, you know, there's there's many, plenty of other guys out there to fight. So, yeah. I guess, you know, we just, it is what it is. <laughs> we just, the, well, what about, this, what about this other guy? This Brad Wingfield well, I, across him? Wingfield, no, we never we never crossed paths. Uh, Wingfield, I think, was was in a different uh, different league or different division. But, you know, a lot of those times when those guys were coming through there, I, I ended up in the American League, you know, and I was locking horns with a lot of bigger beasts up there than, uh, you know, than mm-hmm. some of those guys. So, Hey, Jason, I was just going to finish up with this Wingfield. I mean, know if you ever heard this story, but I heard him on a podcast one time, and one part of that documentary in the Danbury Trashers, he – Somebody broke his leg, so he went out for revenge on the guy when he got back a couple months later, and everybody's waiting for the fight. So he went after the guy, and the guy wouldn't fight him. But anyway, he beat him up, and part of the video was never shown publicly because apparently, according to this guy, and he said this on the air, he tried to step on his head with a skate. So that was for real. So, okay, there's a point of crossing the line, but this is crossing the line of insanity, okay, at some point. In your years, and some of the guys you've come across, you've talked about a lot bigger and tougher, anything – some of the bizarre things that you've seen over the years? I've seen a lot of bizarre things. I think for myself, um, I've been somewhat fortunate to, I guess, the, the role I played, the style I played, and the success I've had, I had doing it. Any of that crazy stuff wouldn't happen in my direction because I don't think people think they could take that kind of liberty. So I've been fortunate that way. True. That's a good point. But – yeah. I mean, at one point during the lockout year, I went to play in that Quebec league. Well, that's what I want to get into next. <laughs> you want stories. <laughs> I give stories. We want to hear a few. That's what we, I mean, let's put it this way. This league, it, 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 the NHL in 2010 they did a study on it. The NHL was averaging 0.6 fights per game. This league, 3.2. And that's probably on the low end. 100%. Three three fights yeah, somebody... were in the first. Let me see if it's a if, it's a, if he drops the puck fast enough. <laughs> Ten seconds of the game. <laughs> what 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 was it like? How did you somebody... get the player there? It's it's you know what somebody... they're so... offered money. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they were they were paying some pretty big money there, and I remember somebody telling me that basically. The teams would get on the bench, and then all the tough guys would start the game, and then they'd all fight, and then they'd all fight again and again, and get kicked out of the game, and then the hockey game would begin. That's pretty much what the league was, they said. Yeah, it's pretty accurate. I remember, uh, like, in Quebec, for example, when I was there, um, like, I mean, there was there was a bunch of guys with a kid, a guy by the name of Jacques Dubé, and that's he's a local from Quebec, and he's like a – celebrity down there because it's all he did was fight and he couldn't really play hockey, but he could fight and great, great guy. Uh, we had, you know, Joel, Joel, the animal Terrio, he was on the team as well too. And, you know, I remember we're sitting there in the, in the dressing room, coach calls us in his coach's office, comes in, closes the door. And then behind the door, there's a, there's a, a dry erase port and there's names. Okay. Jacques, you're going to fight first. Jacques is fighting first. He's fighting this guy. And then you're fighting this guy. And then Painter, you're fighting this guy. And then, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay and sure enough you go up there <laughs> drop the puck and you know they play it up to the the sound of ding 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 and then 
Jacques goes and he fights. Uh, and then his fight is done. Then we line up again. Puck drops. There goes Joel. He fights. Okay. Then they, they line up again. They go to the box. Puck drops. Here I go. I'm fighting somebody. And then so usually sometimes there's one more fight. And then hockey. Play hockey, play hockey, play hockey. Yeah. Third period comes along about the 10-minute mark. All right, it's time to go again. <laughs> then Jacques out there to get his thing done. And then, yeah, it was uh, – and I'll tell you one of the crazy stories. Uh, so we played Laval, and they were the Chiefs. And they had a bunch of guys in their team. And it was – we played them in Quebec. And, you, I mean, our arena was the old Coliseum. And it, it, it had about – could fit about 15,000-plus, whatever it is. And we had over 10, 10 to 11 to 12 maybe in there for that game. And sure enough, fight after fight after fight. And, you know, we, we end up, we, the fans were pouring on to their bench. Like they were shaking the glass behind their bench and <laughs> to the point where the glass broke and the fans fell into their bench. And it was almost, they were fighting in their bench and stuff was going on. And so it was long story short. The problem is we played them the next night in Laval. So, you know, their fans were ready for us when we got there. And it was, it was amazing because I sat there on the bench and I was watching the game was going on and their penalty, the penalty box that for the visiting team there has like a shelter over it. And so the glass comes in, there's a shelter. So you can't get access to it. And I literally watched a fan climb up on the glass with a beer, reach around the glass and throw beer in at one of our players sitting in the penalty box. And I was like, wow, this is, this is insane. So I just sat there watching and then, you know, a couple fights happened. The game went on some more. And then for some reason, I'm watching the, I'm watching the, the, the fans in the stands. I see this one guy coming with a shopping, shopping bag. And I'm like, this is odd. Why is the guy coming with a shopping bag? And he's coming very sneaky. And I was like, okay, as I'm watching, he goes, he goes down one aisle. He's doing this, doing this, this. Goes back upstairs, goes to another alcohol. He's talking to people. Goes another one. I'm like, and I elbow the guys. I go, hey, something's going on over there. You better be, you just keep your eye out. Sure enough, game's going on. And all of a sudden, eggs started flying across the ice. <laughs> Hammering, hit the back of our player. Bang, bang. Eggs were flying everywhere. We, I sat on the bench and I was, I was like in, absolute shock like as like this is i saw this coming and no word of a lie and this is why you know you always gotta you, you do your do what you do in your job but be an honest guy about it you know and if you're honest about it you're truthful about it you're gonna get a lot more respect and our team ran off the bench under the tunnel under the state and under the stands wherever where our dressing was and i sat i stayed and sat on the bench and i watched this all happen <laughs> and my, my, I remember friends were like, "Like, get off the bench, get out of there." I'm like, "Nah, man, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm just watching this right now." And <laughs> not one fan threw an egg at me. Not one fan threw an egg at me. And I thought for sure so someone's gonna, someone's gonna have to throw an egg. Not one fan, and they all looked at me and they all kind of. They nodded their head at me. I think it was like a respect factor. You know what I mean? I'm not dirty. I just I just do what I got to do. Yeah. That's my old, uh, my setup pose there just before the, the fight's about to start there. But uh, uh, yeah, just, you know, the fact that they they gave me that respect and I give the fans respect too. I'm not going to be rude to the fans. I just, you're there to do a job and just do your job. And, you know, they appreciated that. And 
but to watch that happen is like people are saying it's it's a, it's a treat. It was a real yeah. treat. Well, now, clearly speaking, you're it's funny. funny. It's funny. Hold on one sec. One sec. It's funny you mentioned Laval because when I was playing in Sherbrooke in the Quebec League, okay, we're playing Laval in the playoffs, and we're we're beating them, and uh, we're in their building, and I come over the blue line, and it's called offside, and I'm turning, and I get hit in the side of the head with something, and down I go. I get up. There's an empty beer can full of sand with tape on it to keep the sand from coming out that they threw on the ice and hit me in the, in the side of the head. And I, I was like, what the heck is that? <laughs> I was shocked because I had never, I had never seen anything that crazy before. And when that happened, it was kind of like, a, you know, it was a big awakening for me. I went, I guess I better keep my eyes on oh, yeah. everywhere when I'm playing. Yeah, it gets real out there for sure. I've seen bottles flying oh, yeah. everywhere. Beer, Coke, Sprite, oh. you name it. Well, folks, by the way, and, there's a documentary on it that's out there. I suggest you watch it. It's like the Danbury one, only this one's on steroids, I think, another level. Donald Brashear, is, I don't know if you're aware or not, uh, Jace, but he played there in 2014. He went with the intention of only mm -hmm. playing hockey. So he played, he was putting up some points and he had a couple of fights here and there, but the next year he went, it was all over. He just couldn't take it anymore. And he was fighting every night again. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when I played in Quebec, he was on our team. Oh, he was on your team. Okay, good. Yes. So like we had, like I said, we had a, <clears throat> for the Quebec people, a star studded lineup. Like, you know, everywhere we go, like there's a brochure show. And then, you know, we had, you know, Sylvain Blouin, um, uh, Jason Hamilton. Uh, there was this whole, uh, there's a whole bunch of guys. It was uh it was definitely an interesting every every rink we went to was interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I I felt for Brash at the time because you know everybody wants to have him under fight card and you know, does he necessarily want to fight everybody? No, not really. I mean, he's done that stuff, but you're there, you're getting paid big money, and eventually you're gonna have to answer the bell a few times, and that's what it was about, right? So and eventually, yeah, he did go back, but I guess you know, after a while, yeah, for sure. It's just enough's enough, man. You don't need to do that anymore, but some people, it's just what is. It's part of life. What is it in Quebec? Are the people, are the fans crazy, or are they just like? Because <laughs> I remember uh, another episode. Our coach in, in Sherpa just led the last. So we're up twenty-one to one against Shawinigan. <laughs> we there's there's like twenty seconds left in the game. Face off in their end, and the coach pulls a goal. Because the record was 21, and he wanted to set a new record of 22. Oh, well, lo and behold, the, the set, my sentiment is pulling it back, and I'm waiting for the to take the shot. Of course, what do you? I mean, I'm not going to not try to score. So he wins a draw right back, bang in the net. We have to go back to Shawinigan. Well, all hell broke loose. Our coach got rained on with. Uh, bones from uh, with meat still on it and everything. <laughs> then we get out and after the game, we get on the bus and they're pushing the bus back and forth. And it was like, I said, "Holy shit!" Like, I, what is going on here? Oh, it's it's definitely that way. I mean, I, they they're just very passionate in a whole different level about hockey over there. Um, you know, it'd be really nice to see them get an NHL team back. I mean, in in Quebec, it'd be great. I'm yeah. Sure. I'm sure they're, you know, the, the fans would just absolutely love it. I mean, Patrick Waugh is doing a great job with the Ramparts over there, their Quebec major junior team. and But, uh, yeah, they love it. I mean, in that league, the same thing. 
I mean, we played a game in Verdun, which was an old team of mine. And after we left there, after having a big brawl again, they spray painted our bus. You know, they did the same thing. You know, they threw stuff at our bus. Uh, you know, we, we had a game when I was in Verdun and we, we won the championship that year and we had to play St. George uh, where, uh, further up north. Um, you know, somebody in our somebody in their in the organization, whatever, said they're they're a bunch of cow farmers up there. And sure enough, they went and got buckets of cow manure and put it in the dressing room. So when we walked in the dressing room, it was absolutely reeked. I mean, like, so yeah, they're uh, they're definitely passionate about their sport up there, and uh, it, but it, it makes it fun. And it's a it's a lot of you know memories and stories that to talk about later on. I played in St. George when I played for the Real McCoys. When I was about 40 years old, I just thought I'd come back and play a year. And we ended up going to the Eastern Finals or whatever it was. And we had to go to St. George, Quebec. And uh, that was uh, that was a pretty good experience. Uh, the fans there, they, they love their hockey. Yeah, it reminds me of another Thunder Bay. Yeah, yeah. Very, very similar. Yeah. Well, now, Jay, we talk, we've heard some stories about you playing on, on the physical side. Now, over the years of all the spots you've played, and, uh, you know, we've heard lots of stories from players playing in the minor leagues with bus breaking down, uh, no get running out of gas, no money for post-game food. John Bolfi drove a bus one time during a major snowstorm because the driver was too scared to drive the bus. You know, trainers playing goal, beer leaguers called in to fill in rosters. Some of the nutty things you've seen over the years throughout the leagues along those lines. Uh I've seen uh, one of our players actually drive the bus. He he shared the, the driving duties with our bus driver. I've seen uh, equipment managers dress as, uh, as goalies, yeah, as okay. goalies. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's always crazy things that happen. I mean, I've, I've had points where we've gone on the road in the American League and, you know, people missing the bus to get to the airport. Um, you know, guys obviously, you know, missing wake-up calls. And there's guys that are – getting on getting in their cars and, and going to the wrong rink which is blows my mind blows my mind. but uh then i mean the travel portions of things were, were really crazy like one of the uh, one story i always tell is i was in st john with the flames and we were on a road trip to wilkesburg to play the penguins and before we got on the bus to go to the game the coach the trainer called me and told me to go to see the, the coach in the office in his in his hotel room and they had loaned me to, to Long Beach. And I was like, oh, God, oh, really? I'm like, we're in Wilkesburg, Scranton, Pennsylvania. You loaned me to Long Beach? Yeah. So I go, okay, well, how am I getting there? So they said, okay, well, uh, go to the airport, rent a car, drive the car to Newark, get on your flight from Newark, and fly to L.A., and then they'll meet you there. I'm like, um, all right. So I get a shuttle to the airport, get to the airport, no rental cars. I don't have a cell phone this time. So I have to use the, the local phone at the office there and call the, the flames and say, hey, uh, they have no rental cars here. I don't know what to do. They say, what? Okay, give me a second. They finally call back. They send a limousine for me. Limousine comes and picks me up two hours later, drives me two hours to Newark. I get on a flight to LA, fly across country to LA, arrive in LA. The booster club person picks me up, drives me to Long Beach, puts me at the hotel, I check in, go to sleep, wake up. It's I'm thinking like, okay, I'm up. Let's go. Let's go. It's four in the morning because I'm already I'm on East Coast time right now. I'm wide awake, so I'm wide awake from four in the morning all the way until 
maybe like 10 or so or nine or whatever it is. Finally, I get to the, I, I get myself up, get to the rink, put my gear down. Can't go on the ice for pregame skate because I have to go for my physical. They, I have to head out to the, the physical where the doctors are, <coughs> who does the LA Lakers thing. So now the physicals here, they don't, they don't take too long. That physical took all day. I was there from the morning. I didn't get out until 3.30. Had to run to, to Subway uh, to get a lunch because I hadn't eaten all day. And then rush back to the arena, get to the arena. Uh, the trainer said, hey, coach wants to see you. It was uh, Kevin Kaminsky. Killer wants to see you. So I said, all right, go in the killer. I think he's going to tell me, okay, well, this is our system that we're running here, blah, blah, blah. I walk in his office. Killer looks at me and goes, you can't play. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'm, well, I just got here. I get it. I mean, maybe if you want to just go with your life. No, no, you can't play. I go, what do you mean I can't play? He goes, the trade, our, our signing deadline to get somebody in here was yesterday. Oh, 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 oh my god <laughs> i go so i just went through all of that to get here now finally for you to tell me i can't play i said this has got to be something i said you gotta be this i was looking around i said i'm getting i'm getting punked here there's gotta be some cameras around here this can't be true I said yeah i go what am i supposed to do because just enjoy enjoy your weekend in la and then i guess to fly back to st john on monday so flew back to St. John to then find out they didn't put me on their playoff roster. Oh my God. They didn't even let me practice with the team. Oh. So I had to go on the ice after the team practice, after by myself. And you guys are you guys are one of the first people to even ever hear this story. You know, and I was like, Who this was there? Who was Jim Playfair the coach? Playfair was half the year and then he went up. Oh, okay. Yeah, then yeah. he went up. Because he replaced me. He replaced me in St. John. Right. So, And you're talking about that trip, and I thought it was bad when I got traded the day after Christmas, which it was, from Chicago to Buffalo, and didn't see my family until February 4th. I think that one tops it, though. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Fred, I think uh, Jason's story kind of tops it. That's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's one. Oh, that's, man. We've got a few minutes left. We want to thank you so much for being with us, Jason. But I'd like you to talk about precision skating, how it started, and what's the focus behind it and methods, and tell us all about it. Well, during my years of playing, I guess, you know, being a, a guy who's like the extra forward, you know, to be in the game and stay in the game as long as I did, you, your game had to continuously evolve. You know, the days of guys that just going out there to fight were, you know, they were, they were disappearing very quickly. And, you know, uh, Rick, as you know, people and they're think, they're gone now. You know, pretty much, right? I yeah. mean, I mean, yeah, it's good to have a guy on your team that's tough if you can play, right? But you can't afford to have one or two or three guys on your on your team that can't play the game and are only there to fight. It's, that that has long gone away. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I had to I had to continuously work on my skill to develop to be able to you know skate at that level and continuously play at that level and. You know, when you talk about meeting friends along the way, like when I just bounced around a couple of different leagues in the in major junior, you know, in Seattle, the one day I met a, a, a player there by the name of Paul Vincent Jr. And his dad, Paul Vincent yeah. Sr., is one of the obviously, you know, power skating gurus of, of, of on the eastern seaboard, I like to call it. But, you know, yeah. um, you know, Mr. V 
they they invited me to come down and spend the summer with them. And I gave up everything I had going on the summer, left my friends uh, back home, everybody. And I went and lived in Boston for the summer and trained with Mr. V. You know, we stayed in uh, at Cape Cod at his house, got up at 3.30 in the morning, drove two hours to, into Boston, trained at PV Acceleration, and then drove back to uh, to Cape Cod at the Bourne Rink. And, uh, you know, we, we skated, we did training, we did off-ice. And, you know, to work on my skills continuously is what I think is what helped me stay in the game. And, you know, to be able to do that, I want to give that back to the kids, especially every summer I'd come home and see kids out there trying to skate, knowing what I went through and, you know, not having somebody to look up to, somebody to help me or guide me, being able to give that back to the community, give it back to, to the kids coming up myself. So, you know, I started doing that you know, with my power skating and working on the learning lessons from, from Mr. V and uh, Graham Townsend, who's another, uh, you know, hockey guy who, who came through Mr. V as well. But just work on the dynamics of skating, the edge work and, you know, defensive skating, you know, mm -hmm. crossovers, you know, different elements of the game along with your skill. I mean, stick handling wasn't one of my specialties. And for me, I always felt there's there's a time and a place for stick handling. And <clears throat> the best thing is not to over stick handle. You know, if you can control that puck and put it to where you need to, you need to learn how to skate. And if you can mm -hmm. skate, you can play the game. You know, you skate, you control the puck, you control the game. And just being able to give those elements back to the kids and, you know, open my school and then get back into coaching minor hockey in Toronto, you know, with the Senators organization and, and a few junior organizations and OHL teams as well, which I was, was skating coach for and, and working with player development with Niagara and, uh, and, and Kingston Frontenacs as well, you know, and being able to get back to these players, you know, work with them. And, and a lot of these guys that I've worked with and, have come through me if, are, are now in the NHL or in NCAA or, and some even playing pro and some of the kids I coach in minor hockey right now, I'm, you know, they're here with me, right. I, I'm, I'm running into them right now in, uh, in, in the hockey world. I have a couple guys that, you know, playing for me now that I, that I used to coach when they were, uh, when they were younger kids. So, you know, everything comes full circle. So it's just a matter of when you give to these kids when they're younger, you know, you, you, you get it paid back to you, you know, in the future. Fantastic. Final thoughts, Squid? Yeah. No, there's no question. I mean, uh, you do I because you know my son obviously plays for Jason, and he tells me a lot about what you do in the summer, and then going back to Cincinnati and doing the clinics there and everything as well. Uh, you know, so uh, he, he speaks very highly of you and what you do for other people more so than what you do for yourself, and I think that's very, very admirable and uh, and great. No, I yeah, you and Maddie. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Maddie. Yeah, you know, Maddie gave me uh, my opportunity to get up here and coach and pro. And you know, we were teammates uh, in, in minor hockey. And you know what? I'm, you know, forever thankful for him to give me that opportunity, and it's led me to where we are today. Fantastic. Well, listen. So did you beat? Did you beat him when you coached against him in the training camp? <laughs> no, in I just. We, we <laughs> no, I let we were on the same team, so everything worked out for us. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going against one another. <laughs> oh no, actually, we did in uh, the what was it, the Buffalo Prospects game. I was on the bench with the Buffalo. Yeah, right. He was in Boston, and uh, I think they beat us that game. So, but uh, I told my I told my give him one just to have under his belt. Well, Chase, we can't thank you enough for joining us today. It's great, very enlightening. You know, we're big fans of the ECHL. Keep up the great work you're doing there, bringing them another championship, and hopefully we can get to see you guys, see you guys play at some point. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. And uh, Ricky, look forward to you getting down here soon. Okay.
Thanks again, Jason. Yeah, the end of January. The end of January, I think. Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. All right, we'll get make sure the red carpet's rolled out. Ha <laughs> ha!